Good morning. Hi. Glad that you guys are here. Welcome to St. James. I'm going to talk slowly here because we have an announcement this morning, and I'm going to wait for uh, the 25% of the congregation that comes in late. I'm going to stall so that uh, they can get in here and hear this announcement too. Uh, make sure you join us downstairs after worship this morning. We're starting off the summer Sunday school, which is going to be different this year uh, for the kids. They're all going to meet together and the teens are going to help lead them. But we're going to kick it off today with uh, a Sunday school party. And I think that that's it's either a misspelling or it's a pun. And I hope that it's a misspelling. But I think there's going to be uh, ice cream downstairs. So that'll happen right after this. So please join us down there. Uh, you can read the announcements there about the youth yard sale that's coming up here, Father's Day weekend. Also remember, and, and we'll get more information to you here in a little bit, but for those of you who uh, signed up to help out with Glen Carbon's, our, so our church is helping out with uh, Glen Carbon's, the um, Covered Bridge 5K that happens every Father's Day weekend. If you signed up for that, uh, I'll get you a reminder of what, uh, or Jen will help me with this, get a reminder of uh, what time you set you scheduled to help out with that if you didn't sign up but you'd like to help out with the 5k a way to serve our community then uh let me know or let jen know yeah go ahead okay so if you would like to help out at the village with one of the stations at the, the homecoming is that weekend too, it coincides with the 5K. If you'd like to help out with that, then we'll get you information about that too. And I'll make sure that, that the sign-up sheet that we all signed up for those of us who are going to help out is put out. Uh, talk to Shanna about community groups. I'm going to talk a little bit about this this morning in the sermon. Uh, super important. Um, uh, we'll have Shanna come up here sometime in the next uh, month or so and talk about community groups, do a reset. Not right now, uh, just relax. Um, uh, you can read the rest of the announcements. Oh, there's no youth confirmation today. One of the students couldn't make it, and there's no new members class tonight. I'll tell you about this. This has not anything to do with our church, but uh, um, my son is playing cello in, and I wouldn't bring, I don't normally bring up everything he does musically. He's playing cello in a, in a concert run by a Credo Music Camp, uh, over at Kirkwood uh, uh, Webster's uh, School of Music. And I bring it up because KV is helping with that concert with vocal stuff, and Vera runs the, runs the whole camp, the, uh, the Credo camp. And so if you're interested in going, it's a free music concert, and it's going to be really, really good music. Let me know, and I can give you times and uh, directions to get there. Okay, I've stalled long enough. Uh, more and more of us have come in. And now I want to introduce Dr. Uh, Jay Krause, who's the principal of our high school, and he's got an announcement about a really cool opportunity. Thanks, Pastor. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be in worship with you this morning. Uh, occasionally, my wife and I are here um, worshiping with you. We're members at Good Shepherd, where we met many of you along the way. Uh, but I want to share with you very briefly here this morning a wonderful opportunity that's been put uh, in, our, in our lap uh, by the grace of God, through the blessings of God, uh, Lutheran High has been uh, really challenged in a very positive way here recently. And let me share this with you. Um, first of all, many of you know uh, St. James is one of 10 congregations that owns and operates Metro East Lutheran High School. We're an association school. 
And one of the biggest challenges in our Lutheran schools is affordability, trying to make that cost affordable for families who want to send their kids. That's our goal. It's a mission field, it's a mission opportunity, and we want to make that available to as many people as possible. So we try, we, uh, try to think of ways in, in order to be sustainable or develop sustainable ways to offer tuition assistance and scholarships and many opportunities. Well, about two years ago, I began a conversation with an, an organization called the Lutheran Foundation of St. Louis across the river. Uh, you can look them up online. They do wonderful work in our community uh, for Lutheran schools and Lutheran organizations. And um, about, about uh, uh, three months ago, we were given the end result of, of the, those discussions. And what we proposed to them was a matching challenge grant. We wanted to make our tuition, our opportunity, sustainable and affordable to families. So we proposed, and I wrote a grant that proposed that for every dollar we could raise, that they would match us. And so, um, fast forward to about six months ago, we wrote the grant. About three months ago, their board approved the grant, and here, the long and the short of it is, here's, here's what it's all about. For the next seven months, Metro East Lutheran High School will seek to raise $250,000, and the Lutheran Foundation of St. Louis will match us $3 for every $1 we raise, up to $250,000. Now, I'm not a math person. Ms. Thompson's our math, one of our math people. But that equals a million-dollar endowment opportunity over the next seven months. And we're praying about it. We're working really hard at it. And we're inviting our congregations, both the congregation itself and the members, to partner with us. That is our goal. That million dollars gives us an opportunity to have a sustainable, long-term answer to funding and tuition assistance and scholarships assistance for needy families and families to come to Lutheran High. It is a huge opportunity. It's a tremendous blessing. It is a very unique challenge. And we're putting that out there and we'd ask for your prayers and your support along the way as we try to reach this, this challenge. I'm happy to visit with you at any time. You also have three board members that are members here at St. James. Eric Robinson, Dan Stocky, Mark Eberhardt, hope I didn't miss those three. Um, pastor Miller is on our board also as a pastoral advisor, but if you'd like to talk more about it, I'm happy to visit with you uh, about that. I'll be in worship today and at the end as well, um, but I'd be happy to talk with you more about that uh, as well as those board members. This is an opportunity for Lutheran High School to really set uh, a course for their future when it comes to long-term sustainable uh, tuition assistance because we want every family to have that opportunity to come uh, have a Christian education. Thanks so much for the time and blessings on your worship this morning.
Continue in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Let's confess our sin to God our Father. Holy and merciful God, in your presence we confess our sinfulness, our shortcomings, and our offenses against you. You alone know how often we have sinned in wandering from your ways in wasting your gifts, in forgetting your love. Have mercy on us, O Lord, for we are ashamed and sorry for all we have done to displease you. Forgive our sins and help us to live in your light and walk in your ways for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Because of Jesus, God has forgiven all our sin. Hear the gospel of Christ from 1 John. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Psalm for this morning is the truly magnificent Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, You have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, 
as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You may be seated. Testament reading for Trinity Sunday is uh, the very, very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1 and the first part of chapter 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. And let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. Plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed. Each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation. Plants yielding seed according to their own kinds. And trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. 
And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights. The greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. To rule over the day and over the night. And to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that's on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Acts reading this morning, we're going to pick up the second half of the um, Pentecost sermon, which we read the first part of that. Peter preached that last week. We're going to read the first part. Let's read the second part today. So again, verse 14, Peter standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed them. And then we're going to skip what we read last week and jump to verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. 
my flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You've made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, and now Peter's gonna take that line that God's not gonna let his Holy One see corruption or let his body decay in the ground. Peter's gonna take that line and compare it like David said that, but it can't be true about David. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. He definitely saw corruption. But being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not descend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please stand with me for the gospel reading. Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew chapter 28. Glory to you, O Lord. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. So, Holy Trinity Sunday, this is the one Sunday that we uh, say the Athanasian Creed. It's quite long, didn't print it in the bulletin. It is in the hymn books though, so if you'll grab your hymn book and turn to 319, and it's divided up into kind of verse format there. And so... I will read the first one and you read the second one and then we'll carry on like that uh, reading alternately odds and evens until we get to the end. All right, the Athanasian Creed. Whoever desires to be saved must above all hold the Catholic faith. Whoever does not keep it whole and undefiled will without doubt perish eternally and the Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the substance. For the Father is one person, the Son is another, and the Holy Spirit is another. But the Godhead of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit is one, the glory equal, the majesty co-eternal, such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Spirit. The Father uncreated, the Son uncreated, the Holy Spirit uncreated, the Father infinite, the Son infinite, the Holy Spirit infinite, the Father eternal, the Son eternal, the Holy Spirit eternal, and yet there are not three eternals, but one eternal. Just as there are not three uncreated or three infinites, 
but one uncreated and one infinite. In the same way, the Father is almighty, the Son almighty, the Holy Spirit almighty, and yet there are not three almighties, but one almighty. So the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and yet there are not three gods, but one God. So the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, the Holy Spirit is Lord, and yet there are not three lords, but one Lord. Just as we are compelled by the Christian truth to acknowledge each distinct person as God and Lord, so also are we prohibited by the Catholic religion to say that there are three gods or lords. The Father is not made, nor created, nor begotten by anyone. The Son is neither made nor created, but begotten of the Father alone. The Holy Spirit is of the Father and of the Son, neither made nor created, nor begotten, but proceeding. Thus there is one Father, not three fathers, one Son, not three sons, one Holy Spirit, not three Holy Spirits. And in this Trinity, none is before or after another. None is greater or less than another. But the whole three persons are co-eternal with each other and co-equal, so that in all things, as has been stated above, the Trinity in unity and unity in Trinity is to be worshipped. Therefore, whoever desires to be saved must think thus about the Trinity. But it is also necessary for everlasting salvation that one faithfully believe the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is the right faith that we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is at the same time both God and man. He is God, begotten from the substance of the Father before all ages. And he is man, born from the substance of his mother in this age. Perfect God and perfect man, composed of a rational soul and human flesh, equal to the Father with respect to his divinity, less than the Father with respect to his humanity. Although he is God and man, he is not two, but one Christ. One, however, not by the conversion of the divinity into flesh, but by the assumption of the humanity into God. One altogether, not by confusion of substance, but by unity of person. For as the rational soul and flesh is one man, so God and man is one Christ, who suffered for our salvation, descended into hell, rose again the third day from the dead, ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father, God Almighty, from whence he will come to judge the living and the dead. At his coming, all people will rise again with their bodies and give an account concerning their own deeds. And those who have done good will enter eternal life, and those who have done evil into eternal fire. This is the Catholic faith. Whoever does not believe it faithfully and firmly cannot be saved. You may be seated.
Okay, I'm going to do something just a touch different. I do, I do this from time to time. We're not going to preach an exegetical sermon or expositional sermon this morning. I'm going to preach a topical sermon because I want to talk about uh, the Trinity. And um, basically, I want to do two sort of broad things. One is, like, one is roughly intellectual. I want to talk about what the Trinity is, explain the Trinity. And then the second thing is practical. I talk about what's the... Why does it matter? Why, does it, why can't we just believe in God? Why does it matter that God is three persons? So, um, I mean, the Trinity, obviously, it's, um, we just said the Athanasian Creed. It doesn't really explain anything. It's a confession. It's not an explanation. It's, you know, famously hard to, to, to grasp what the Trinity is. There's some reasons, I mean, and there's no, there's no getting around it. I'm not going to, like, so- solve anybody's I'm not going to give anybody cognitive satisfaction this morning if our, if our quest is to completely understand the Trinity. But there are, th- there are certain things that we do to make it more difficult to understand. And I'd like to discuss those uh, a little bit in the first half of the sermon this morning. So let's talk about, first of all, understanding the Trinity. And I'm going to give you three tips for understanding the Trinity. And I hope that these are helpful. Like, give me feedback after the sermon is over. I hope that this can get through some of the confusion. First of all, first tip is this. You just have to read the story. We have to read the story of the Bible to understand the Trinity. One of our problems in understanding the Trinity is we don't come at it from the Bible. We come at it from like a mathematical concept. We come at it from, we need to figure out like, well, how can three be one and how can one be three? And we get hung up there, like that's what the issue is. But when you read the Bible, the Bible doesn't ever grapple with math. Well, I mean, there's math in the Bible. And math is important too. Uh, um, I should say that. But the, the issue in the Bible isn't math. And when you, get, when you actually read the story, you'll see that what we're doing is we're coming at it from it backwards. All right? So you, I've said this before. A lot of you know this. We are functionally deist in Western Christianity. Right? Deism has been the primary mode of Christianity for over 300 years now. And what deism is, is the belief that God is up there somewhere in supernatural land. And he looks down at us, and sometimes he comes down and does stuff, you know, he blows you up if he sees that you're doing bad stuff. Or he, sometimes he comes down and, and, and does, he's like, kind of like a cosmic lifeguard, right? He just kind of sits there and watches to see who's screwing up and yells at people every once in a while. Mainly he just sits up on the platform. And sometimes he comes down and he dives into the water to do something spectacular, but that's pretty rare. Deism, the belief that we're living in natural land and God lives up in supernatural land and those two things don't intersect, that's really kind of a bad way to understand almost everything, including who God is. Instead though, if we abandon, so I had a conversation with one of my students at the college a few years ago we're talking about religion, and he told me, this is super common for people to say this sort of thing. He said to me something along the lines of, I just can't believe in God. I can't believe like in this guy, this, you know, the big guy upstairs, who's kind of up there like looking down here, kind of gruffly upset with the way the rabble down here kind of doing their business. And every once in a while, he zaps people with lightning to get them under control. I just can't believe in a God like that. And I said to him, yeah, I, I, I don't believe in that God either. Like, that's not the God I believe in. That's not the God of the Bible. But it's the God that most of us believe in. Whether you're, like, super devout Christians 
or whether you're an atheist. Group A, you believe in God. Group B, you don't believe in God. But both groups mean roughly the same thing by the word God. Like, like the far side version of God. The big, big throne up there with the overflowing beard and robes and everywhere. And he's up there. And that's just actually not. So th- th- what makes this hard is that, okay, th- so that's God. Well, how can that be three persons? We start with like that one God sitting up there in heaven. And then we try and figure out, well, how can that be three? And that's not the way the Bible does it. In fact, the Bible starts the other way around. So Genesis 1.1, if you look at the Old Testament reading, I'm gonna, um, we're, we're, like I said, this is not an, an expositional sermon, so it's gonna be a little bit different, but we are gonna look a little bit at Genesis 1 this morning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. It's a little bit common in contemporary Christianity to say things like, well, the Holy Spirit's a New Testament thing. Actually, the Holy Spirit shows up in the second verse of the Bible in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit's there from the very beginning. In fact, when you get down to verse 26, you can see that God is speaking in plurals here. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, again, this is story. It's it's not a geometry textbook. So Moses is not trying to explain to us. Why is God talking like in plurals? He's not explaining. He's just showing all, from the very, very beginning, we see that there is a multiplicity within the Godhead, that within the divine being that we know as God from the rest of Scripture, there's conversations happening. There's ebb and flow and give and take. From the very beginning, there's at least more than one person in the Godhead. They're talking to each other saying, let us make this new special creature, humans, in our image. So you have, you have God, you have the Holy Spirit here. Some people might say, where is Jesus? A little bit of a side topic, where is Jesus? A, Genesis 1 is not trying to teach the Trinity. It's telling a story. You pick up on the details as it goes along. When my kids were younger, they don't do this so much now, but when they were younger, you would sit down to watch a movie and like the opening scene would happen, and like the, a character would walk up and say a line, and I'm exaggerating a little bit for emphasis here. So they, they might say, hey, well, what's gonna happen with that guy? Well, they're like being systematic theologians, like, no, who cares? Just watch the movie. Well, let's watch the movie, then we'll see what happens with this guy. Same thing, what, what's happening with God? What, is, what does God mean here? Well, we gotta read the whole story. But already from the very beginning, you can see certain things shaping and developing. Actually, John, the Gospel of John, you guys know this verse. Reflecting on Genesis 1-1, he actually is quoting it. In the beginning, he starts off his Gospel. In John 1-1, in the beginning was the Word. He means Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What does he mean? He means that in the beginning, Jesus is there too. Jesus is there too. In fact... This is kind of evocative. Okay, this is pro-level here, so if you're not pro-level, you can check out for a few seconds. For those of you who are like, uh, you've paid extra to get up to the the next uh, level of stuff, you can pay attention. Uh, Hopefully that intrigues you. Um, Paul reflecting on creation in Colossians 1 makes a similar point, but goes even a a little step farther. He says this in Colossians 1. He says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Well, that's Adam language. Who's the image of God in in Genesis 1? It's Adam and Eve, right? Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He doesn't mean that the Father and the Spirit created Jesus the Son. He means firstborn in in the ancient sense of owner of everything, the writer of primogeniture. 
Jesus owns the whole creation. For by him, this, this, this next phrase gives the lie to the notion that Jesus was created. For by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body of the church. Check out this next line Paul says. He is the beginning. He is the beginning. In fact, St. Augustine, in his really cool book he wrote called uh, On the Literal Interpretation of Genesis 1, and he says in there that when Paul says he is the beginning, Paul is saying that when you read Genesis 1-1 and you read the line in the beginning, it's actually a reference to Jesus. In the beginning is Jesus. Jesus wasn't just there in the beginning. He is all things. Everything comes from him as the beginning. He's also the destiny of, of all things. All things flow to him. Okay, that's pro-level stuff. Anyway, Moses isn't systematizing that. He's just telling a story, and he's like, God is talking to himself. There's a conversation happening in the throne room of God between multiple people. You and I know this this morning, for those of you who are Christians, as the Trinity. So don't start with the culture's view of God. This is my main point, and then we'll hustle on. Don't start with one, so God is one, and then try and figure out how can that be three. The Bible actually starts with three. And then later on, when you get to Deuteronomy 6, you have that great Shema confession. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's actually, that's actually the new information. In the Bible, it starts off with multiple, and then it says, these three are one. So the three is given. The one is the bizarre, new, unique thing that we learn in scripture. So read the story. Second thing, second tip for understanding the Trinity. Think about the analogy of marriage. Now, not all of you are married, and all of you have been unmarried or will be unmarried in the future. So this is, what I'm not saying now, what Moses is not saying, what God's not saying, is that only married people can understand the Trinity. There's marriage, yes, but there's also relationship that flows out of marriage, too. More on that in just a few minutes. Think about the analogy of marriage, though. So Genesis 1, look back down at Genesis 1, 26. God says, let us, plural, right, make man in our plural image after our likeness, and let them, plural, the three members of God don't make one dude. When they make humans in their image, they make two. They make a pair, right? That's why he goes on to say at the end of verse 27, so God created man. That word man, it's, it's literally Adam in Hebrew, can mean one person, a man. Not the usual word for man, but it can. It means man in general, humankind, both men and women, which is why at the end of verse 27, it says male and female, he created them. When God, the plural God, made humans in his image, he made plural humans. And you have to think about that. This is the way the image of God works. The image of God in the Bible is not fundamentally our rational capabilities. It's not fundamentally like, well, we have souls and animals don't, and that's what makes us different. Or we can think thoughts, and asparagus can't think thoughts, and that's what makes us different. No, it's actually... God eternally is in relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when he makes humans, he intentionally designs them to be in relationship. Now, some of you have heard me do this before. If I flip over to Genesis 2, you have it explicitly said here. In Genesis 2, Moses says, Therefore, talking about Adam and Eve getting married, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they, 
shall become one flesh. That is Trinitarian language. The notion that two can be one or that three can be one, the analogy is this, that in marriage, we come close to reflecting the Trinity. Marriage was designed to reflect the Trinity. And not just marriage, that's kind of a core principle, but as you go up throughout Scripture, I mean, here it's just, there's only two people existing, so that's the only relationship there is. But as you, as you get farther and farther into when you get to the, uh, in the New Testament, you have the Christian church, which is designed to be one in Jesus Christ. It's in relationship it's in relationship that we look like the, the Trinity, that we experience who and what the Trinity is. The tip here is this. If you understand the analogy of marriage, you'll see that what's going on with the Trinity is fundamentally about not math, not geometry, but relationship. Father, Son, and Spirit, so in love with each other, so enjoying each other's presence, so completely turned outside of themselves to the other two from eternity back that they can rightly be said to be one God, even though they're three separate persons. It's the analogy of marriage. Okay, third thing, third tip here. Let's listen to Jesus's thoughts on the Trinity's eternal life together. So just remember, I'm not trying to prove anything here. I'm just trying to help us understand it in ways that are more helpful than the usual math-based but math-based ways, okay? Jesus says this in John 17, verse five. He's praying to his father, and he says, now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So Jesus says before any of this existed, before time and space started, Father, you and I were experiencing glory together. We felt the, what that means is we felt the weight of each other's existence. We relished each other. We took meaning from who we were together. Later on, he says, he's flipping down through John 17 and verse 24, he says, Father, he's praying for us. Father, I desire that they may be with me to see my glory that you've given me because, now, now pay attention, this is, this, is, this is interesting, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Again, before the world was created, Father, Son, and Spirit loving each other, intimately involved. Just to recycle my second point here, relationship does this. We all know this, right? We're all confused by the math of the Trinity, but we all know what it's like to have somebody, a spouse, a loved one, a best friend, who when you're together with them, what's happening between the two of you is bigger than the sum of the two of you. There's something new and fresh and powerful created in the experience of being in relationship. Well, that's what the Trinity is. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. Okay, maybe that helps, maybe that doesn't help. If it doesn't help, I have to move on in the sermon. I apologize. That's all I can do. I've reached the end of my limits. What I want to do now is talk about what difference does it make? Why does it matter that there's three persons and one God? What difference does it make? Again, I've got three things here for you. This is the more practical section. First of all, the Trinity is essential to understanding who God is. Second of all, the Trinity is essential to understanding who we are. And then third, and finally, the Trinity is essential to understanding what salvation is. We need to learn to think about salvation in a Trinitarian fashion. So first of all, the Trinity is essential to understanding who, who God is. John in 1 John says that God is love. God is love. That's who he is. Everything else is secondary. God is love. And if you understand the Trinity, you'll know why it is that John is saying that. Is because has God always been holy? in the sense of like separate from a creation that he's made? No. Before creation, there was nothing to be separate from. 
Has God always been, is God a God of wrath? Okay, yes, but has he always been a God of wrath? No. Wrath is secondary. It's, a, it's not his default mode. It's his alien mode. What he has been always and forever is love. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all the way in the past, in eternity past, have loved each other. I, I, I've said this a bunch to you, and I can't even remember. Like, I know I tell my confirmation group this, and I've said it in Bible study. If, you, if you've heard this, I apologize. I break it out once a year. When, I, when I'm doing confirmation class, when I used to teach seventh grade theology at Good Shepherd, a super frequent question would be, what was God doing before he made the world? Like, there's nothing. It's just him. Just God. He's, was he bored? Like, there's nothing going on. I mean, no, he was never bored. He was always living in the weight of this. Him, the three of them were always hanging out. They were always doing stuff together, whatever that means. They were always loving each other. They were always involved in each other's lives. They were always giving themselves to each other and receiving from each other. They were always building and living inside of this magnificent Trinitarian relationship. God is love. It's who he is. Other, other features of who God is spring from that. So the, you, you can't get love without the Trinity. If there's no Trinity, if there's just one God sitting up in heaven, whatever that means, and there's nothing that exists before creation, he can't rightly be said to be love because there's nothing to love. You can't love without nothing to love. And if he's the only thing to exist, there's nothing to love, which means he's not love. In other words, if God is love, if, this, if, this, if, this, if the deist God is real, he needs us. He depends upon us for him to be loving. And yet John insists, no, it's actually who, who he is by definition because, again, he's always loved. He's always lived in love. All of the secondary characteristics flow out of that. Let me pick on holiness for a second. It's popular. Now, now if I said this phrase, I think that you all would have a certain vibe. I know I would if one of you said it to me. God is loving. God is holy. And that would sound to us like two separate things. Like God is loving, but he's also holy. God is nice, but he's also mean. God loves people, but he also blows up people who cross him. But that's not what holiness means at all. In fact, what I just did there is like a major league case of projection. The only reason I think that God's love means he's nice to me and likes me, but God's holiness means like he wants me to stop having fun is because I'm projecting my own sinfulness onto him. Right? Like, who's the one who doesn't want to, who's the one who's always undermining all the good in his life? Aaron Miller. Who's the one who's always resentful when others get attention that he doesn't? Aaron Miller. Who's the one who's always pouting at his own party? Aaron Miller. Who's the one who's determined to be first place at the expense of everybody else? Aaron Miller. And when we say that, so this is what Luther called being in curvatus and say, being turned in on yourself, right? The notion that I just want to have fun and God's kind of like coming down on me is completely wrong. Actually, God's the one who wants to have fun. God's the one who wants to experience love and relationship. God's the one who wants to hold the party, and I'm the one who wants to blow the party up because I'm not getting enough attention. 
God's the one who wants to give everybody great art and great intellectual stimulation. And I'm the one who's bummed because people don't recognize how smart I am and how great my art is and how fantastic the jobs that I do are and how beautiful I am. I'm the one, who, I'm the one who's determined to not have fun. And when, I, and when we say that God is loving and God is holy, we're saying the same thing. We're saying that God's the one who's determined to be loving and to have a party, and the human race is the one who's determined to destroy it. God's holiness and his love, slightly different angles, one's the application and one's the center, same thing. And it's only because I'm so turned in on myself that I think that God's the meanie who's trying to destroy my fun. Just like when, for those of you who had kids, when you used to take your kids and you used to be like, I've told this story before, I hate to do this because he's, he's getting older and he's tired of this story. But like, there was a, there was a time when Angela and I forced Harry to eat a Reese's cup. True story. We forced him to eat a Reese's cup. He refused. He didn't want it. We forced him to do it. And then when he ate it, he said, he paused, he looked at us and he said, I like this. Well, yeah, so that Harry's like me. I'm like, God's so mean. He's trying to get me like worship and he's trying to get me to love him and he's trying to get me to love my wife and my kids and he's trying to get me to get outside of myself and care more for you guys. He's trying to get me to quit pouting when I feel like I'm not getting enough attention. He's always coming down on me. And God's like, eat the Reese's cup, idiot. And I won't do it. His holiness means, his separateness for me is that, is that I don't want to have fun and he wants to have fun. I don't want to love and he wants to love. I don't want the world to work right and he wants the world to work right. You can't get that if you don't have Trinity. If it doesn't flow out of his love, we won't, we, we won't ever understand what it means to, to, to worship a God who's holy. Because that's the first thing in the second point. Second thing, the Trinity is, under, is essential to understanding who we are. Now, I've already touched on this, so I don't wanna, uh, I'm going to try to do this real quick. But if God created us in his image, and the first thing that that means in Genesis 1, 26 and 27 is that we are in relationship, that means this. To the extent that we're not in relationship with each other, to the extent that we're not living outside of ourselves, is the extent to which we're not looking like God and thus creating disorder and chaos and evil in his good creation. Relationship is essential to being a Christian. The whole, this incredibly American nonsense about I do this on my own, I don't need any help. That is so, it's, it's not just dumb, it's actually deeply sinful to turn in on yourself and think, I don't need anybody else. I don't need anybody else. That is so, so damaging because God didn't create us for that. It is the cause and the symptom of the postmodern mental health crisis that we're going through right now. This isolation, this determination that we aren't gonna go to God's party God invites us to the party. I'm gonna go home and sit by myself and pout. So I read this study just a couple days ago. I, uh, uh, St. Louis Magazine sends out this, uh, what's a food blog, which linked, <laughs> which linked to a study done by Digital Third Coast, which is a consulting group that does um, 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 digital marketing consulting. And they, they released a study this past week. And here's what they said in the study. I thought it was super interesting. Uh, they, did, uh, uh, they surveyed 1,000 people, and they say 67% feel that technology has made it harder to connect meaningfully. And in the story, I read it in the St. Louis Magazine, it was about using the kiosks at Taco Bell instead of standing in line and ordering from the person who's there who doesn't have anything to do, or going to Schnucks, you know, and using the self-checkout lanes. And I'm, I'm gonna, my, my kids are afraid I'm going to go on a rant here about we should always use the uh, the checkout lines. And I'm not going to do that 
to spare them. But there's something that 67% of people feel like that, that sort of technology has made it harder for us to connect meaningfully. All right? Your phones, computer screens, the kiosk at Taco Bell. 75% feel that tech-based interactions have led to a decrease in social skills. All right? So this is almost overwhelming that everybody kind of feels like this is where, this is where we're going. We've isolated ourselves. We've, we've left the party. And we've created the tools. Look, so uh, your phone, is it the cause? Maybe a little bit. It's more the symptom. You know, we create these things because we don't want to be with other people, because we want to isolate. 68%, 68 of people feel that tech-based interactions have led to a decrease in empathy and ability to care for other people, to sit in other people's shoes. 31% have felt lonely or isolated because of fewer face-to-face -face interactions. All right? Now, Here's the interesting stat. Pay attention to this. 62% like that technology is replacing face-to-face -face interactions. So out of 1,000 people, there's at least a chunk of people, I can't do the math again. There's at least a chunk of people that said, I feel like isolating myself has decreased my social skills. It's made me lonely. It's, it's hindered the way I'm able to empathize with other people, and I like it. I'm lonely and I like it. That's what I'm talking about. We as a human race have rejected God's party. He's invited us to this great party and said, community, relationship, and we're like, no. We'd rather be alone, we hate it, we're lonely, we're bored. In, in, in fact, I, you've heard me say this before, it, when I use the words lonely and bored, I am describing the way 85% of you feel about your normal everyday to, every day to day life. And yet, we still insist, I don't want to look like God created me to look like. He made me to be in relationship because he's in relationship and I'm in his image, but I'd rather be lonely and bored and be by myself. That's, that's the definition of the postmodern dilemma right there. So, what are we going to do? Well, we're made for each other. Uh, Shanna Covarubias is going to give us a speech about community group here in a little bit. And you don't have to be in community group. It's not a law, but it's a helpful way to sit in other people's lives to step outside of yourself, in Jesus Christ, to step outside of yourself. Uh, more on that from Shannon. She's working on a speech right now. No, not right now, during the sermon, but uh, she's work, it's, she'll, she'll deliver it to us uh, shortly. Third thing, and then we'll be done. This is all related, and so I can make this quick. The Trinity is essential to understanding what salvation is. A bulk of you are Lutherans. You're good little Protestants. And so you think of salvation as, I put faith in the vending machine, I get faith salvation out. I believe in Jesus. He gets me to heaven when I die. It's a very, very transactional view of salvation. It's no wonder that so many of us were like, I want to be saved. I don't even really know what it means to know God or love God. Well, it's because we've turned him into a vending machine. We've turned him into a, 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 a transaction. Instead, you, you see where this is going, right? What is salvation? Salvation is the secret at the heart of the universe. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit eternally loving each other and saying, hey, you guys, come on into this. You were created for this. You were created to walk with this. It's not about going to heaven when you die. It's not even really gasp about getting your sins forgiven. That's a means to an end. God doesn't forgive our sins because he's like, well, you need fire insurance, I'll sell it to you. God forgives our sins so that we can live with him, so that we can be involved in this beautiful relationship with him. I'm gonna close with this one verse and then we'll be done. This is about why Jesus dies and rises from the dead. He doesn't do it to get us out of hell. He doesn't do, us to get, do it to get us to heaven. 
He does it because he wants to live our life with us. He wants, when the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are hanging out in the party, he wants to invite us in so we can be a part of the party too. Last words, we'll give it to Jesus. John chapter 17, he's praying to his Father about us. Oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these, he means us, know that you've sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. Last line here. That the love with which you have loved me, Father and Son, the love which you've loved, with which you've loved me from before the foundation of the world may be in them too, and I in them. That's why God is saving us, so we can be a part of that relationship as well. Let's pray. Father, make us grateful this morning for who you are, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know we're so turned in ourselves. Forgive us, pull us back into your party, bring us into the relationship that you, Father, have had with your Son and with the Holy Spirit from eternity past. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.
Please stand for prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us and for being such a good God. Thank you for giving us uh, for, for giving you to, our, to us and for pulling us into this relationship with you. Help us to, help this to be the major factor of our life, Father. The reality of you, the promise of your Son, the gift of your Spirit. May that be our morning and our evening. May that be everything in our lives. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we pray for all the uh, ministries that you've called our church to and that you've blessed us with. And we thank especially this morning of community groups and for Shanna who lead those and for, uh, it's hardly worth calling it a ministry, it's more uh, just a deep pleasure to be involved in each other's lives and to, to live in each other's joys and sorrows and strengths and weaknesses and to learn from each other and to, um, to, to know and to be known uh, by others in your name and uh, just pray that you would grow our community groups in you in sanctification and in holiness and in love. We also pray that you'd be with uh, Apple of His Eye Ministries and Pastor Parviz over in Dogtown. And as uh, that church, Kaiva Shalom, ministers to the Jewish community there, we pray that you would give them hope and grace, that you would provide for their needs, that you would give them opportunities to share the love of Jesus Christ in the context where they're at. Lord, in your mercy. We also pray for all of the churches in our area this morning, and we especially thank you for our sister church, Hope Lutheran in Highland, and Pastor Scott Busaker there, that you would bless them as they hear your word and celebrate your sacrament. Pray for all of the gospel-preaching churches here in Glen Carbon and Edwardsville, and as always, Lord, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, your kingdom would grow and grow, and that we'd be able to be a part of that, that we'd be able to sh share in the vision of your glory taking over our town and truth and righteousness and mercy and the love of Jesus Christ becoming the coin of the realm here. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we pray for all those who are grieving and who are sorrowing, who are sick and are in pain and who are worried about it. We pray for all those who are struggling with mental health issues as well. We pray for all those who are uh, living through relationship fractures and concerns about lost friends and lost family members. Uh, hope that those relationships would be restored and that you would give all of us hope that your resurrection will make all things new. We pray especially this morning that you would continue to bless Larry Fry as he mourns the death of his brother Terry and that you would continue to give him and Gene and Sarah Kate hope and trust in you as well. And we thank you for Terry's faith and the promise of resurrection and again the promise that your son Jesus is going to make all things new. Lord, in your mercy. We pray all these prayers because you invited us to, and you've promised to answer us according to your will, according to your loving will. And so with confidence, we come before your throne and give you our request. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly good, right, and salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you, Holy Lord, Almighty Father, everlasting God, who with your only begotten Son and the Holy Spirit are one God, one Lord. In the confession of the only true God, we worship the Trinity in person and the unity and substance of majesty co-equal. And therefore, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and singing.
pray together the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Take and eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. You may be seated. Watch our keeping their cry go. 
Please stand. And now may this true body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen you and preserve you and keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting. Depart in Christ's peace. Amen. bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord bless you and keep you. Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Look around, find somebody you've not connected with recently. Remember that when we're in community, we're actually looking like the God who created us to look like him. Go in peace.